0: Previously on Flying the Line, ALPA's founder and first president, Dave Bankey, works to maintain his position against all odds as an investigative committee looks into his managerial practices. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association abridged from the book, Flying the Line, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 15. The Fall of Dave Bankey. Part 2. The investigating committee was ready to recommend Bankey's ouster to the executive board when it reconvened on July 12th. Bankey countered by mailing to the entire board of directors a ballot that would empower him to stop the meeting of the board. He declared the July 12th meeting of the executive board to be illegal, and he threatened a court fight. If Bankey's ballot would carry, the ouster movement would surely fail. The revolutionaries organized an intensive campaign to defeat the ballot that would in effect abolish the executive board and declare the work of the Special Investigating Committee invalid. They were probably overly worried. Bankey's ballot was 18 pages long rambling and incoherent, and most ALPA members had clearly had enough of communications of this sort, which they seldom read anyway. On the morning of July 12th, a quorum of 21 executive board members assembled. ALPA's secretary convened the meeting in Banky's absence and made his first action as interim chairman of the board the hiring of an attorney because there were rumors that Bankey would begin immediate legal action against them if they convened. Sure enough, the meeting had only barely begun when Bankey's lawyer appeared and read a statement declaring them to be an illegal assembly. Then a bombshell hit. Bankey sent a telegram from Washington firing two ALPA employees and Executive Vice President Clarence Sayen, accusing them of conspiracy. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Whenever Sayan had been in the company of individuals complaining about Banky, he always changed the subject. He was completely loyal to Banky throughout the investigating committee's life. The executive board promptly rehired the trio and summoned the board of directors to meet in convention on July 16th, just four days later. But before the executive board could adjourn, new word reached them from Washington. Bankey was filing suit for $2 million in damages against various national officers and every member of the investigating committee. It was a frightening sum, and the legal action itself would almost surely tie the principals up in court and cost enormous amounts of money. They were to appear in court the next day. While the accused appeared at the designated hour of the court hearing, neither Banky nor his lawyer were there. Just after the judge assigned to the case left, Banky and his lawyer finally appeared. Owing to Bankey's late arrival at the hearing, the court refused to issue an injunction to block the special meeting of the Board of Directors. So on July 16, 1951, At the Del Prado Hotel on Chicago's South Lakeshore Drive, the drama of Banky's ouster played out. After reviewing the work of the investigating committee, the convention amended the Constitution by inserting an immediate recall provision. The roll call vote was 5,562 in favor of the amendment and 269 against with pilots representing over 75% of all ALPA members in attendance. Then, acting under provisions of the recall clause they had just inserted, the delegates removed Bankey from office and elected Clarence Sayan as his successor. In tribute to his service, the delegates agreed to pay Bankey his full salary for life, and even raised it to $15,000 per year. But Banky's fight wasn't over. The morning after the convention, the newspapers were filled with numerous charges and countercharges of misconduct. Banky then filed another lawsuit and froze the association's bank accounts, leaving members unable to pay the hotel bill. On the advice of Roy Dooley, the Chicago chairman of the American Airlines Pilots, the revolutionaries moved quickly to transfer jurisdiction over the jumble of lawsuits to federal courts. Knowing that Bankey had powerful political connections, and that if his suits wound up in Illinois state courts, the revolutionaries would almost certainly lose. A countersuit was filed against Bankey that was designed to transfer the matter to federal courts, based on the diversity of state citizenship of each of the eight listed complainants. But it was the human drama, not the legal one, that mattered. Initially, Dave Banke ignored the revolution, acting as if nothing had happened. He came to the office every day, issued orders to the ALPA staff, and sent letters far and wide insisting that he was still the legal president. When a group of pilots tried to take over the ALPA offices at 63rd Street, he called the police who showed up in full riot gear. Banky's son, David Jr., a tough ex-Marine, acted as his father's bodyguard, and there were several near fistfights. But Banky was playing a losing hand, one a more rational man would have folded. The case of Talton et al. v. Banky was filed on July 25, 1951, in federal court. It requested an injunction to prevent Bankey from interfering with the charges made at the convention of the Board of Directors earlier that month. By implication, the suit would legalize the immediate recall provision that had removed Bankey from office. Of necessity, the court would declare the revolution against Bankey legal if it should grant an injunction, illegal if it should refuse. The case wound up being assigned to Judge Walter Labai, a terrible bit of luck as he was an old friend of Banky's lawyer. Under his control in the supervision of a court-appointed supervisor, ALPA would continue operating for the next year with two presidents. Both Bankey and Sayan would sign checks, while the supervisor approved all other important transactions, including the completion of the ALPA building at Midway Airport. Under this cumbersome agreement, the long court battle took place, while Clarence Sayens struggled to carry on a semblance of ALPA's normal business. The initial round went to the pilots, when it was determined that the revolution had been legal and Bankey was no longer president. An investigative report issued on May 20, 1952, sided with them, but it was merely advisory. The judge could accept it, reject it, or make changes. Nevertheless, the pilots felt like celebrating, for a federal judge rarely countered such a finding. But Judge LeBay was that rare judge who did counter the finding. On June 25, 1952, he ruled in favor of Banky and issued an injunction against the revolutionaries prohibiting them from interfering with Banke's control of ALPA. Since the anti-Banke forces would soon be locked out of ALPA's headquarters by court order, they quickly ran off copies of the membership list and collected $100 from each pilot they could locate for an emergency fund. Its purpose was to wage a last-ditch battle against Judge Labai's ruling and in the event of failure, to create a new pilots' association. If Dave Bankey could be stubborn, tough, and dogged, he was about to discover that his opponents could play the same game, even though their attorney was recommending surrender. In a burst of frantic activity, the pilots set up the Air Transport Pilots' Association, or ATPA, and started collecting authorization-to-act cards. In short order, they had an overwhelming majority of Eastern and Pan-American pilots who together accounted for a substantial percentage of ALPA's total membership, and owing to their heavy financial commitment during the ouster, were supplying nearly 40% of all ALPA dues. While Banky might win the court battle, he would ultimately wind up presiding over an empty house, as it was a foregone conclusion that a majority of the nation's airline pilots would eventually join ATPA. While they set up the Alternative Union, the revolutionaries pursued further legal action. On the advice of Henry Weiss, who had stayed out of the scrap so far, Sayon prepared to appeal Judge LeBay's injunction. He chose U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Walter Lindley, sitting in Danville, Illinois. Lindley was a Republican, appointed to the court by Herbert Hoover. But Democratic Senator Scott Lucas, whose law firm was handling the case for the anti-banky forces, recommended Lindley, despite their partisan differences. At the same time, under emergency conditions, the revolutionaries were plotting other strategies. The easy out was simply to continue ATPA, name Sayan president, and let Banky have the empty shell of ALPA. But Sayan refused, citing the large number of grievance cases that would be lost by pilots who still depended on him. Sayan vowed to stay with ALPA till the bitter end. Only after exhausting the last legal remedies, Sayan insisted, would he surrender ALPA. Sayan and the executive board were pursuing other remedies. Judge Labai had ruled in favor of Banky partly on the grounds that the July convention had illegally adopted the provision permitting immediate recall of ALPA's president. So... Using the list of ALPA members' addresses that had been spirited away from ALPA headquarters before Banky had the locks changed, Sagan prepared a recall ballot under the complicated old rules that required a petition signed by 30% of the membership to approve a subsequent mail ballot. It would take time, but eventually this approach would garner far more than the minimum necessary to circulate a full ballot. The legality of Sayan's action, owing to Judge Labai's injunction, was questionable, and he was risking a contempt of court citation by taking any action at all. Everything depended on Judge Lindley of the Court of Appeals. Extra-legal remedies like ATPA would eventually defeat Banky, of course but in the process the whole structure of airline-pilot unionization might dissolve. Judge Lindley alone could prevent a catastrophe for the unionization of airline pilots, and he was a Herbert Hoover Republican. The pilots were advised not to let their hopes get too high, as an appeals court seldom overruled a lower court on cases such as this anyway. While Judge Lindley was considering the request of Sayin and the executive board for a stay of Judge LeBay's injunction, Dave Bankey took formal possession of ALPA's new headquarters building, a structure that he described as something which would last a thousand years and never become obsolete. On Thursday, July 31, 1952, Judge Lindley ended Bankey's career stating that he could not see that either party would be injured if a restricted stay order should be entered. This legal circumlocution meant that he was returning ALPA to the status it had enjoyed under supervision. The judge required Sayan and his petitioners to post a $10,000 bond. The effect on Banky was negligible. He simply ignored Judge Linley remained in possession of ALPA's new building, and defied anyone to remove him. He stood utterly alone at this point, with virtually no support among airline pilots and with the weight of the federal courts opposing him. Whatever affection and respect the pilots once felt for Banky were rapidly dissipating amidst the tangle of lawsuits. They moved to have Banky cited for contempt, Judge Lindley complied, and Bankey was found guilty on August 15, 1952, by a three-judge court, as Sayan proceeded with plans for the regularly scheduled convention in October. With these mounting difficulties, even Dave Bankey saw the end coming. He now faced a jail term for contempt of court, and in barely a month, the 1952 convention would meet. Its legality would be unassailable, and it would certainly not reelect him to another term. So Dave Bankey did what was once unthinkable, probably the hardest thing he ever did in his life: he quit. He was tired, he was sick, and he was beaten. On October 8, 1952, the Board of Directors' convention met on schedule in the Sherry Hotel. Through an intermediary, Banky sent word that if the convention would vote to pay him the pension of $7,500 annually that had already been set up some years before, he would resign. Banky insisted that his wife Gladys also be taken care of, but he would not accept the $15,000 salary for life, that the Emergency Executive Board and subsequent convention had approved in July 1951, to do so would be an admission that these were legal gatherings, and Banky would never admit to that, nor accept anything from those sessions. The 1952 convention agreed to Banky's terms, and so it was over. The Banky era was at an end. Bankey only lived another six months. He died of a heart attack after a sauna and massage at the Chicago YMCA in April 1953. But most old-timers insist he really died of a broken heart. Next time on Flying the Line, a new leader ushers in the jet age and the new technology brings new concerns for airline pilots seeking fair wages. Thank you for listening. This has been Part 2 of Chapter 15 of Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 1982. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpha.org or on ALPA Podcast, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Production Copyright ALPA 2020. All rights reserved.